Chapters five through seven of Thomas Andrews Shipbuilder by Shan F. Bullock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland. Chapter five. We come back then to Andrews as Mr. Childers saw him on that day in the yard. Big, strong, inspiriting, full of enthusiasm and mastery, a genuine captain of industry, there on the scene of his triumphs, yet revealing himself as modestly, we know, as any of the great army of workers under his direction, before attempting to give some further and completer account of the relations which existed between him and the islanders it may be well to give a letter written by andrews in nineteen o five to a young relative then beginning work as an engineer i am sorry i did not get a shake of your fist old chap before leaving just to wish you good luck at your business and a good time at please accept from me the enclosed small gift to go towards a little pocket money you are such a sensible boy i know that you require no advice from me but as an old hand who has come through the mill myself i would just like to say how important it is for you to endeavour to give your employers full confidence in you from the start this can best be gained one by punctuality and close attention to your work at all times but don't allow your health to suffer through overwork two always carry out instructions given by those above you whether you agree with them or not and try to get instructions in writing if you are not sure of your man three always treat those above you with respect no matter whether they are fools or no less than yourself four never give information unless you are perfectly sure better to say you are not sure but will look the matter up five never be anxious to show how quick you are by being the first out of the shop when the horn blows it is better on these occasions to be a bit slow now this is a sermon by thomas but not one of your father's only that of an old cousin who has high expectations of you and is interested in your welfare good-bye and good luck that little sermon by thomas with its admixture of shrewdness wisdom and kind-heartedness may be taken as embodying the work-a-day rules of duty perfected by andrews through a varied experience of sixteen years rules doubtless as faithfully observed by himself as they were commended for the guidance of others what may be called its hoarse sense its blunt avowal of how to play the game helps us towards a fuller understanding of the man puts him in the plain light through which every day in view of every one he passed it shows us why he succeeded why in any circumstances and irrespective almost of his higher qualities he was bound to succeed it explains to some extent what a workman meant in calling him a born leader of men it helps us to understand why some called him a hard man and why he made a few enemies helps us also to understand why the islander who threatened to drop a bag of rivets on his head was threatened to laugh amenity what andrews demanded of others he exacted in greater measure of himself if at times he enforced his code of conduct with sternness in that as all who felt the weight of his hand would eventually acknowledge he was but doing his plain duty did men skulk 
or scamp their job they must be shown decisively that a shipyard was no place for them someone discovered asleep on a nine-inch plank spanning an open ventilator must be taught discretion but no bullying no unfairness above all no show of malice if in andrew's nature was no trace of maliciousness neither did there lurk in it any meanness not once but a thousand times during the past black months has his character been summed with characteristic terseness by the island shipwrights just as a judge straight as a die there wasn't a crooked turn in him simple phrases conveying a magnificent tribute for what better in any one can you have than the straightness of a die whether you regard him as a man or master and such straightness in a shipbuilder is not the supreme quality at all events this quality of absolute rectitude so indispensable in other respects was the main quality which in their personal relations with him won for andrews the admiration and esteem of the islanders they could trust him he would see fair play if he caught you doing wrong he wasn't afraid to tell you so if he found you breaking a rule he wouldn't fire you straight away but would give you the rough side of his tongue and a friendly caution so long as one reported a mistake honestly he had consideration but try to hide it away and he blazed at you he had a grand eye for good work and a good man and the man who did good work no matter who he was got a clap on the shoulder so the islanders this man and that and then once more comes the crowning judgment on the tongue of so many he was straight as a die but not that one quality alone gained for andrews his great one might say his unique popularity in the yard his vast knowledge his mastery of detail his assiduity his zest all these merits had their due effect upon the men and effective too was the desire he showed always to get the best possible out of every worker it was not enough to do your job he expected you to think about it and if from your thinking resulted a suggestion it got his best consideration it might be worthless never mind better luck next time if it were worth a cent he would make it shine in your eyes like a dollar in addition were those more personal qualities emanations so to speak of the man's character his generosity kindliness patience geniality humour humility courage that great laugh of his the whining smile the fine breezy presence of those also the men had constant and intimate experience any one in trouble might be sure of his sympathy after a spell of sickness his handshake and hearty greeting stirred new life in your blood once he found a great fellow ill-treating a small foreman who for sufficient reason had docked his wages whereupon andrews took off his coat and hammered the bully during labour and party troubles he several times at risk of his life saved men from the mob one day in a gale he climbed an eighty-foot staging rescued the terrified man who had gone up to secure those loose boards and himself did the work another day he lent a hand to a shipwright toiling across the yard under a heavy beam and as they went andrews asked how is it mickleween you always like to be besides me ah sir was the reply it is because you carry up well these incidents chosen from so many enable us to see why in the words of the island poet though andrews was our master we loved him to a man 
he always carried up well stood foursquare to all the winds that blow too often those in authority rule as tyrants using power like some juggernaut crushing under the beasts of burden but andrews following the example of his uncle preferred to rule beneficently as a man among his fellows one evening writes mrs andrews my husband and i were in the vicinity of queen's island and noticing a long file of men going home from work he turned to me and said there go my pals nelly i can never forget the tone in his voice as he said that it was as though the men were as dear to him as his own brothers afterwards on a similar occasion i reminded him of the words and he said yes and they are real pals too you see now why a colleague mr saxon payne secretary to lord perry could write it was not a case of liking him we all loved him and why during those awful days in april when hope of good news at last had gone the yard was shrouded in gloom and rough men cried like women they had lost a pal and not they only on both sides of the atlantic wherever men resort whose business is in the great waters owners commanders directors managers architects engineers ship officers stewards sailors the name tom andrews is honoured to-day as that of one whose remarkable combination of gifts claimed not only their admiration but their affection what we are to do without andrews said a belfast shipowner i don't know he was probably the best man in the world for his job knew everything was ready for anything could manage everyone and what a friend it's irreparable surely of all men worth saving he ought to have been saved yes saved by force for only in that way could it have been done here too it may be mentioned that during his business career andrews received many acknowledgments of a gratifying description for those whom in various ways he had served amongst others from the white star company the hamburg american company and what i dare say he valued as much from the stewards of the olympic following the announcement of his marriage a committee was organized at the yard for the purpose of showing him in a tangible way the esteem of the islanders but for business reasons or perhaps feeling a delicacy in accepting a compliment without parallel in the history of the yard he whilst making it plain how much the kindly thought had moved him felt constrained to ask the committee to desist one may end this imperfect chapter with two more tributes themselves without any great literary merit perhaps yet testifying sincerely one thinks to the love which andrews inspired in everyone long ago per dr o'loughlin wrote in collaboration with the pursuer of the oceanic some verses to be sung to the heir timothy atkins doubtless they have been sung at ship's mess on many a voyage and perhaps have elsewhere been printed one verse is given here neath a gantry high and mighty she had birth and she'd bulk and length and height and mighty beam and the world was only larger in its girth and she seemed to be a living moving dream then she rode so grandly o'er the sea that she seemed a beauty decked in bright array and the whistle sounded loudly and she sailed along so proudly that we all cried out she must be quite okay oh tommy tommy andrews we are all so proud of you and to say we have the finest ship that e'er was built is true may your hand ne'er lose its cunning 
we don't care how winds may roar, for we know we have a frigate that can sail from shore to shore. The second tribute is taken from a lament, written by the island poet in the ballad form so popular in Ireland and circulated widely in the yard. A Queen's Island Trojan, he worked to the last. Very proud we all feel of him here in Belfast. Our working men knew him as one of the best. He stuck to his duty and God gave him rest. Chapter 6 it remains, before giving account of the finest action of his life, to consider briefly, by way of rounding his portrait, what we may call Andrew's outside aspect, the side, that is, he might turn to some committee of experts, sitting in solemn judgment upon him as a possible candidate for political honours. That side, it may be said at once, is singularly unpretentious, and indeed, when we think of his absorption, heart and soul, in what he knew for him was best, who could expect or wish it to be otherwise? In Ulster, heaven knows, are publicists galore, and sufficient men too willing to down tools at any outside hornblow, that we should the less admire one who spoke only once in public, took no open part in politics, and was not even a strong party man. He was, however, a member of the Ulster Reform Club, Twice he was pressed to accept the presidency of unionist clubs. Frequently he was urged to permit his nomination for election to the city council. The Belfast Harbour Board shared the opinion of one of its leading members that his youthful vigour, his undoubted ability and his genial personality would have made him an acquisition to this important board. His fellow directors, in a resolution of condolence, expressed their feeling that not only had the firm lost a valued and promising leader, but the city an upright and capable citizen, who, had he lived, would have taken a still more conspicuous place in the industrial and commercial world. Even in the South, where admiration of Northerners is not commonly fervent, it was admitted by many that an Andrews Ulster had at last found the makings of a leader. For such straws, blown in so prevailing a wind, we may determine the estimation in which Andrews, as a prospective citizen, stood amongst those who knew him and their own needs the best, and also perhaps may roughly calculate the possibilities of that future which he himself, in stray minutes of leisure, may have anticipated. But some there will be, doubtless, whose admiration of Andrews is the finer because he kept the path of his career straight to its course without any deviation to enticing havens. Such a man, however, the son of such a father, could not fail to have views on the burning topics of his time, and no estimate of him would be complete which gave these no heed. He was, we are told, an imperialist, loving peace and consequently in favour of an unchallengeable navy. He was a firm unionist, being convinced that home rule would spell financial ruin to Ireland, through the partial loss of British credit, and of the security derived from connection with a strong and prosperous partner. At times he was known to express disapproval of the policy adopted by those Irish unionists who strove to influence British electors by appeals to passion rather than by means of reasoned argument. Also he felt that Ireland would never be happy and prosperous until agitation ceased and promise of security were offered to the investing capitalist. Though no believer in modern cities, 
he was of opinion that an effort should be made to expand and stimulate irish village life it seeming to him that a country dependent solely on agriculture was like a man fighting the battle of life with one hand where however an approved system of agriculture such as that advocated by sir horace plunkett joined with a considerable scheme of town and village industries he believed that emigration would cease and ireland find prosperity to the practical application of tariff reform he saw many difficulties but thought them not insuperable in view of the needs of the world-wide and growing empire the necessity of preserving british work for british people and the injury done to home trade by the unfair competition of protected countries he judged that the duties upon important necessities should be materially reduced and a counterbalancing tax levied on all articles of foreign manufacture he advocated modern social reform on lines carefully designed to encourage thrift temperance and endeavour and as one prime means towards improving the condition both moral and physical of the workers he would have the state either directly or through local authorities provide them with decent homes to the consideration of labour problems particularly those coming within the scope of his own experience he gave much thought and when it is considered that his great popularity with all classes held steady through the recent period of industrial unrest we may judge that his attitude towards labour in the mass as in the unit was no mere personal expression of friendliness as his real pals he wanted to help the workers educate and lift them other things being equal he always favoured the men who used their heads as well as their hands and if in the management of their own affairs they used their heads but also so much the better for all concerned he considered that both in the interests of men and masters it was well for labour to be organised under capable leaders but honest agreements should he thought be binding on both sides and not liable to governmental interference politicians and others should in their public utterances he felt endeavour to educate the workers in the principles of economics relative to trade wages and the relations between capital and labour but publicists who for party or like reasons strove to foster class hatreds and strifes he would hang by the heels from a gantry where economically possible the working day should he thought be shortened especially the day of all toiling in arduous and unwholesome conditions similarly he was disposed to favour when economically possible encouragement of the workers by means of a system of profit sharing he would furthermore give them every facility for technical education but such he knew from experience was of little value unless supplemented by thorough practical knowledge gained in the workshop these views and opinions whatever their intrinsic value in the eyes of experts are at least interesting sooner or later had andrews lived he would perhaps have made them the basis of public pronouncements and then indeed might his abounding energy applied in new and luring directions have carried him to heights of citizenship chapter seven happily there is no need in these pages to attempt any minute estimate of the share andrews had in building the titanic such a task were it feasible would offer difficulties no less testing than those met courageously by half the world's journalists when attempting to describe the wonders 
of that ill-fated vessel her length that of a suburban city her height the equivalent of a seventeen-story building her elevator cars coursing up and down as through a city hotel her millionaire suites her luxuries of squash raquette courts turkish and electric bath establishments salt-water swimming pools glass enclosed sun parlors veranda cafes and all probably no one man was solely responsible for the beautiful thing she was an evolution rather than a creation triumphant product of numerous experiments a perfection embodying who knows what endeavour from this a little from that a little more of human brain and hand and imagination how many ships were built how many lost how many men lived wrought and died that the titanic might be so much being said it may however be said further that to her building andrews gave as much of himself as did any other man all his experience of ships gained in the yards on voyages by long study was in her all his deep knowledge too gathered during twenty years and now applied in a crowning effort with an ardour that never flagged it was by the titanic her vast shape slowly assuming the beauty and symmetry which are but a memory to-day that mr childers met andrews and noted in him those qualities of zest vigour power and simplicity which impressed him deeply yet andrews then was no whit more enthusiastic we feel sure than on any other day of the great ship's fashioning from the time of her conception slowly down through the long process of calculating planning designing building fitting until at last she sailed proudly away to the applause of half the world whatever share others had in her his at least cannot be gainsaid as lord priory's assistant he had done his part by way of shaping into tangible form the projects of her owners as chief designer and naval architect he planned her complete as managing director he saw her grow up frame by frame plate by plate day after day throughout more than two years watched her grow as a father watches his child grow assiduously minutely and with much the same feelings of parental pride and affection for andrews this was his ship whatever his hands in her and in that she was efficiently designed and constructed as is now established his fame as a shipbuilder may well rest as surely none other did he knew her inside and out her every turn in art the power and beauty of her from keel to truck knew her to the last rivet and because he knew the great ship so well as a father knows the child born to him therefore to lose her was heartbreak on tuesday morning april the second nineteen twelve at six a m the titanic left belfast an ideal weather and was towed down channel to complete her trials on board was andrews representing the firm her compasses being adjusted the ship steamed towards the isle of man and after a satisfactory run returned to the lock about six p m throughout the whole day andrews was busy receiving representatives of the owners inspecting and superintending the work of internal completion and taking notes just a line he wrote to mrs andrews 
to let you know that we got away this morning in fine style and have had a very satisfactory trail we are getting more shipshape every hour but there is still a great deal to be done having received letters and transferred workmen the ship left immediately for southampton andrews still on board and with him amongst others the eight brave men from the island yard who perished with him they were william henry marsh power assistant manager electrical department roderick chisholm ship's droughtsman anthony w frost outside foreman engineer robert knight leading hand engineer william campbell joiner apprentice alfred fleming cunningham fitter apprentice frank parks plumber apprentice ennis hastings watson electrician apprentice during the whole of wednesday the third until midnight when the ship arrived at southampton andrews was ceaselessly employed going round with representatives of the owners and of the firm in taking notes and preparing reports of work still to be done all the next day from an early hour he spent with managers and foremen putting work in hand in the evening he wrote to mrs andrews i wired you this morning of our safe arrival after a very satisfactory trip the weather was good and everyone most pleasant i think the ship will clean up all right before sailing on wednesday and then he mentions that the doctors refused to allow lord perry to make the maiden voyage thereafter from day to day until the date of sailing he was always busy taking the owners round ship interviewing engineers officials agents managers subcontractors discussing with principals the plans of new ships and superintending generally the work of completion through the various days that the vessel lay at southampton writes his secretary mr thompson hamilton mr andrews was never for a moment idle he generally left his hotel about eight thirty for the offices where he dealt with his correspondence then went on board until six thirty when he would return to the offices to sign letters during the day i took to the ship any urgent papers and he always dealt with them no matter what his business nothing he allowed to interfere with duty he was conscientious to the minutest detail he would himself put in their place such things as racks tables chairs berth ladders electric fans saving that except he saw everything right he could not be satisfied one of the last letters he wrote records serious trouble with the restaurant galley hot press and directs attention to a design for producing the number of screws in stateroom hat hooks another of earlier date in the midst of technicalities about cofferdams and submerged cylinders on the propeller boss expresses agreement with the owner that the colouring of the pebble dashing on the private promenade decks was too dark and notes a plan for staining green the wicker furniture on one side of the vessel withal his thought for others never failed now he is arranging for a party to view the ship now writing to a colleague i have always in mind a week's holiday due to you from last summer and shall be glad if you will make arrangements to take these on my return as although you may not desire to have them i feel sure that a week's rest will do you good on the evening of sunday the seventh he wrote to mrs andrews giving her news of his movements and dwelling upon the plans he had in mind for the future on the ninth he wrote the titanic is now about complete and will i think do the old firm credit to-morrow when we sail on the tenth he was aboard at six o'clock and thence until the hour of sailing he spent in a long 
final inspection of the ship. She pleased him. The old firm was sure of its credit. Just before the moorings were cast off, he bade goodbye to Mr. Hamilton and the other officials. He seemed in excellent health and spirits. His last words were, Remember now and keep Mrs. Andrews informed of any news of the vessel. The Titanic, carrying 2,201 souls, left Southampton punctually at noon on April 10th. There was no departure ceremony. On her way from dock, she passed the Majestic and the Philadelphia, both giants of twenty years ago, and now by contrast with Leviathan, humbled to the stature of dwarfs. About a mile down the water she passed Test Quay, where the Oceanic and the New York lay berthed. Her wash caused the New York to break her moorings and drift into the channel. As the Titanic was going dead slow danger, of a collision was soon averted but as andrews wrote that evening the situation was decidedly unpleasant from cherbourg he wrote again to mrs andrews we reached here in nice time and took on board quite a number of passengers the two little tenders looked well you will remember we built them about a year ago we expect to arrive at queenstown about ten thirty a m tomorrow the weather is fine and everything shaping for a good voyage I have a seat at the doctor's table. One more letter was received from him by Mrs. Andrews, and only one, this time from Queenstown, and dated April 11th. Everything on board was going splendidly, he said, and he expressed his satisfaction at receiving so much kindness from everyone. Here all direct testimony ceases. Proudly, in eye of the world, the Titanic sailed westward from the Irish coast, then for a while disappeared only to reappear in a brief scene of woefulest tragedy round which the world stayed mute if as is almost certain a chronicle of the voyage was made by andrews both it and the family letters he wrote now are gone with him but fortunately we have other evidence plentiful and well attested and on such our story henceforward runs the steward henry e etches who attended him says that during the voyage right to the moment of disaster andrews was constantly busy with his workmen he went about the boat all day long putting things right and making note of every suggestion of an imperfection afterwards in his stateroom which is described as being full of charts he would sit for hours making calculations and drawings for future use others speak of his great popularity with both passengers and crew i was proud of him writes the brave stewardess mrs may sloan of belfast whose testimony is so invaluable he came from home and he made you feel on the ship that all was right and then she adds now because of his big gentle kindly nature everyone loved him it was good to hear his laugh and have him near you if anything went wrong it was always to mr andrews one went even when a fan stuck in a stateroom one would say wait for mr andrews he'll soon see to it and you would find him settling even the little quarrels that arose between ourselves nothing came amiss to him nothing at all and he was always the same a nod and a smile or a hearty word whenever he saw you and no matter what he was at two of his table companions mr and mrs albert a dick of calgary alberta also tell how much they came to love andrews because of his character and how good it was to see his pride in the ship 
but upon every occasion and especially at dinner on sunday evening he talked almost constantly about his wife little girl mother and family as well as of his home this preoccupation with home and all there was noticed too by miss sloane sometimes between laughs he would suddenly fall grave and glance you might say back over her shoulder towards donallan and ardara off near stamford lock i was talking to him on the friday night as he was going into dinner writes miss sloane in a letter dated from the lapland on april twenty seventh the dear old doctor was waiting for him on the stair landing and calling him by his christian name tommy mr andrews seemed loth to go and wanted to talk about home he was telling me his father was ill and mrs andrews not so well i was congratulating him on the beauty and perfection of the ship he said the part he did not like was that the titanic was taking us further away from home every hour i looked at him and his face struck me as having a very sad expression one other glimpse we have of him then in that brief time of triumph whilst yet the good ship of his which everyone praised was speeding westwards in perfectly clear and fine weather towards the place where was no moon the stars were out and there was not a cloud in the sky for more than a week he had been working at such pressure that by the friday evening many saw how tired as well as sad he looked but by the sunday evening when the ship was as perfect so he said as brains could make her he was himself again i saw him go into dinner said miss sloane he was in good spirits and i thought he looked splendid an hour or two afterwards he went aft to thank the baker for some special bread he had made for him then back to his stateroom where apparently he changed into working clothes and sat down to write he was still writing it would seem when the captain called him end of chapters five through seven of thomas andrews shipbuilder by shan f bullock